Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Today we are joined by the wonderful Sara. Sara is International Manager for Music Labels Technical Operations at YouTube across the EMEA and APAC regions. Having held technical roles at BBC Music and also several non-music companies, we talk about the importance of being willing to grow in a role, developing transferable skills, as well as what it is like working as a giant like Google and what it means to have Googliness. Thank you for choosing to hit play on this podcast. Please do hit subscribe and leave us a rating. It helps more people discover and listen to our podcast. Thanks again, everyone. Enjoy. Sarah, welcome to the Mellow Compass podcast. It's such an honor to have you on. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much. I'm super excited about the conversation. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. So we're going to hit you with a couple of warm-up questions to get to know you a little better. Firstly, you're from Spain. You're from Madrid. You're actually currently in Madrid and have just fully moved back there, which is really exciting. But you've also done loads of traveling. And in 2019, traveled to 10 cities in one month, which is a lot of traveling. So tell us, where is your favorite place to visit? Oh, that's a difficult question. I mean, when I was living in London, so before I moved to Madrid, I think Spain was my favorite person, but for like personal reasons, friends, uh, son in general. <laughs> But uh, now that I think in retrospective uh, about other cities, I think I love New York. I don't know why. Like, I don't particularly like other cities in the U.S., but like New York is such a special city. I had the opportunity to spend one month there some years ago. And uh, you can discover new places and new things every single day. The cultural offer there is insane. And uh, and I love like modern art. I love going to concerts. And uh, and I mean, I was going to one of it every single day while I was there and eating amazing food every day. So yeah, I love New York. I love walking uh, in the New York streets in the night with my headphones on and like, yeah, it's insane. So in New York will be the, the city I love to visit the most. Oh, I love New York. I haven't been there for some years, but it's definitely time to go back. My my best friend lives there as well. So any excuse to visit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you also play the clarinet. Where did your love of music come from? So uh, when I was tiny, when I was six, my parents were trying to find like a uh, activity for my sister. And she tried like many others. Uh, they decided to try one more. And this was like music. And because I was like the, the small one, 
uh, they were like, okay, let's just join both of them, like put both of them in the music uh, school. And honestly, I think this is one of the things that I am like, I love that they did this. I feel like I owe them a lot of my life because of this decision. So I joined the music school when I was like six years old, uh, almost seven. And I started playing the clarinet one year after. Uh, so I've been playing the clarinet for a long time now. <laughs> But I'm not like I'm not like the best clarinet player ever. That's probably why I'm not a professional one. Um, but yeah, I started when I was tiny, and uh, and my whole life I've been involved in music. So all my friends are like music friends. Uh, I used to spend all my non-school time in the music school, uh, going out with them, uh, spending like you know, it's like you create this kind of like bubble. And uh, and that was like uh, my childhood. So I feel like half of my life has been music. That's amazing. Why the clarinet? So um, uh, my sister chose the instrument first, like one year before me, mm-hmm. and um, she chose the violin. And uh, from the first time, from the first moment, I was like, okay, I don't want any string instrument. Because like the first years, the first years the of the violin between siblings, yes, exactly, <laughs> and also because the first years of the strings are like difficult ones, like it's you know what I mean. And later, I the clarinet teacher uh, was my teacher for like the music theory class. So before I had to choose, and I loved him. So I knew I wanted like a like a good wind instrument. So it was like flute, oboe, or, or clarinet. Yeah, I love the sound of the clarinet. And also that it has so many, like the range is really big. So when um, when you are playing, you, you can like have different kind of like moods. And uh, and I love that. So so I think that's that's why. Oh, stunning. I used to play the cello. So I understand when you say starting a string instrument is difficult. And um, I, I actually didn't have any desire to be a professional cellist, but also like you played in many, many orchestras. And I think it's a, like playing an instrument is so good for your brain development because it, yeah, it just helps you, you know, build that creative part of your brain, but then also the analytical part and the mathematical part. Yeah, I totally agree. Like I think part of the reason why I was good at maths was because of music. Because at the end of the day, when you are doing um, solfeo, solfeo is like music theory, it's called yeah. solfeo, yeah, yeah. Uh, in English. So when you are doing that, it's rhythm. And rhythm is maths. So like you kind of like teach your brain how to organize things in like different measures and how to count and how to like do kind of like different rhythms. And I think this helps a lot with the analytical part too. At the same time that you are developing the creative one. So yeah, it should be something that everyone should do, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. Um, and do you have a, a favorite genre of music? Oof, uh, no. And this is something that I struggle with every single time I get asked because, uh, yeah, because everyone's like, oh, you should have one. I mean, you work kind of like in the music industry. You kind of say you like everything. It's like, yeah, but I do like most of the things. Um, I have some favorite ones. Like uh, I love kind of like poppy, uh, pop music. I love indie pop a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the some electronic music, but not the ones that is like uh, minimal. So I like, now I'm kind of obsessed with Elderbrook. Um, I don't know oh, if you I know. I love Elderbrook. Yeah, yeah, I love, I love. And, yes. Uh, and the song, song, Something About You is like 
oh my god i need to put this on loop uh <laughs> but also at the same time i love like uh, like uh, spanish music like zetangana uh, that is like an artist that is really really famous in spain um also they they release like a tiny desk uh, video and uh and last week i was like all the time playing that for like <laughs> So yeah, I kind of like get obsessed with music, uh, with the specific tracks time to time, uh, but not all of them are the same genre. So I don't really know how to answer the question. Basically, I like many things. Yeah, yeah. I think asking what your favorite genre is to someone who loves music is probably one of the hardest questions because it really gets you thinking about, well, I like everything, but then what do I really like? Like, what is my go-to when I put on Spotify or YouTube? I want to dive into your career now because you started your career in tech as a software engineer, but not in music. Was the goal always to work in music? Um, yeah. So let me give you some context. Okay. So yeah, this is going to be good. Uh, so when uh, there, there is a moment in the music school that you basically need to decide, okay, fine, I'm going to be a professional and I'm not going to study a degree. Yeah, uh, I, I, you are going to study a degree, but it's going to be the music degree or I'm going to go to university and study something else. And because of that, you will not be a professional. Um, as I told you, I was not good enough with the clarinet to be a professional. Uh, but the moment that uh, I had to decide that, OK, I'm not going to be a music professional, it was really tough. And uh, I promised myself that whatever I did, it was going to be combined with music. Um, and later, I love, um, I always love computers. I love like the technical side. Uh, again, my sister was like a role model on this sense. She started telecommunications uh, engineering and I kind of like follow her. I did something, a degree that is called uh, telematics in Spain, that is kind of a mix between computer science and telecommunications. And because of that, uh, I love this side. I love the technical side. I love innovation. I love of like all the like, uh, um, uh, kind of like developments and new things on the technical way. Yeah. And I love to get really geeky with specific technical things. So let's say that during my degree, I always was doing things that were technical, but thinking on how I could apply this to music. Uh, when I finished my degree, I asked for a scholarship and the recommendation letter, I don't know how to call it, like the, the letter that you have to write to say why you should get the scholarship said clearly, my goal is to help musicians to grow in their careers using technology. Oh, wow. So since that moment, I think that has been my motto. That has been like a, my kind of like moonshot. So that is like the goal that I always try to achieve. But sometimes you need to go a little bit like, okay, I cannot go directly there because that doesn't work in life. I did a master in London in, uh, in telecommunications, business and music. And the reason why I did this master is because they had the Center for Digital Music, the biggest one in Europe. I did my mas the master project in, in music and it was related with like Spotify apps. And I knew that the BBC was working on something similar. So I applied to the, um, to the graduate scheme at the BBC. I got it, but when I started, I started working in a different project. Uh, and in that moment, I started pushing to go into the BBC Music team from a technical point of view. Uh, I, achieved that, I achieved that after like six months, a year, and I worked in the BBC Music uh, team for over three years. And this was like the first step to get into the music industry side. 
to understand a lot around the music metadata, how things were working on the music industry, get closer to like the editorial side. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, as outside work, I used to go to a lot of like uh, music events, uh, music tech events, getting to know like music startups. Uh, I used to go to like music hackathons on the weekends and yeah. even organize them. I used to do like crazy, tiny, fun projects uh, related with music every weekend. So yeah, so this was like the first five years. And later when I joined uh, YouTube Music, I also started working with non-music partners, but it was a way to get into YouTube. And later I moved into the YouTube Music team. I think that's a really important message as well, that even if you want to work in music, you don't have to start in music. It's really developing those transferable skills. And um, what I was going to ask is, you know, how important do you think your first job is in the bigger picture of your career? You had your goal in mind and you kind of sounds like you very much had a plan as to how to get there. And then were very fortunate in getting the graduate scheme at the BBC. But when you got that first job, were you were you thinking, OK, this is where I'm going to start and learn and then this is going to be my journey and I'm going to get to X by this time? So. That was actually not my first job. I used to have a different job in Spain while I was studying. Yeah. Um, so I actually did uh, work as a technical consultant for a few months. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this technical consultant role uh, was not related at all with music. But it allowed me to get the BBC role after. So what I'm trying to say here, I think it's really important to just find jobs where you could gather skills that are transferable, as you mm-hmm. just said, and, um, and try to find jobs where they uh, help you grow and you see that um, there is a potential to reuse these skills somewhere else. Of course, you need to have in mind that where you want to go and have it quite clear. It's impossible to have it straight away. Like, it doesn't going to happen. I mean, it might happen, but the thing what I'm trying to say is like, you might need to work in different places before you arrive to a point where you were aiming for. Mm. And the most important thing is like, don't get stuck in trying to get into that. I applied to Google before I got the BBC role and I didn't get the job. If I was like, okay, no, I just want to work, work in, in Google and music, I wouldn't have got the BBC role. So I think it's a, a question of like, just try, but don't just get stuck on trying to get the role that you want. Maybe you need to go sideways and learn something else that might open doors for you in the future. Yeah, I think it's also really looking at where these big companies are hiring from and then looking at people's career trajectory and thinking okay well this is where I am say at the beginning of the career and then going okay well you know I could work as a technical consultant in you know a company that doesn't work in music but I'm getting those skills and then slowly developing and moving in your journey because there, like no job is a waste of time like you're going to learn something and you're going to learn something about yourself as well as something about you and that job and that company so yeah I think that's that's a really important message as well and going into the Google days so this is where we are now Mm -hmm. tell us as senior music partner technology manager at YouTube Music what does that entail day to day so um that was actually my role until like a few months ago now I'm actually the manager of that team it involves many things it's I think it's the, the job that is most, most difficult to describe that I, ha- I have ever had. But in summary, we are like the technical side of the music partnerships team. So we are like the techies of the not technical team, of the kind of like uh, business side and the relationship uh, team. 
uh, we are all kind of like uh, software engineers or so we do have a technical background. Uh, we are able to understand technical knowledge. So we are able, able to translate the language from the product team into the music labels and vice versa. And uh, we also help music labels to integrate their service with YouTube Music API or via uh, any other way. We help them with ingestion. So we help them with uh, DDEX, what is the standard for delivering music to, to DSPs. And, um, and at the same time, we do a lot of data analysis. Uh, we are kind of like the um, technical music rights experts on YouTube Music. Uh, we work really closely with the product team. So when there is like a launch or we are planning a new product, uh, they always uh, come to us to get us feedback, to get feedback uh, around what the partners might need, because we basically know the, the, the partners, we know the music labels better than they do, and because we speak with them every week. And at the same time, we raise kind of like issues that the music labels could have. And we bring this to the attention of the product team. So which departments in the labels and the publishers will you be speaking to? So we speak with uh, a lot of departments, but mainly with the operations department. So we speak with the operations and also the ingestion one and the business insights one. So we speak with people who are ingesting the content, people who are dealing with rights, and, uh, and people who are analyzing the data, the revenue, and all the performance. These are like the three main teams we speak with, but at the same time, we also speak with uh, the business side because um, they are the ones that know what they want in the sense of like product wise and where their business is going. So sometimes we speak with them to understand their need and translate this into like a more technical language that we can bring to the product team. So how would you describe the working environment at Google? You've mentioned before that it has like a Googliness, which I love. Um, and there's definitely like a personality kind of trait in others that I've met who work at Google, uh, which is amazing. Like you're also energized, you know, inspiring and empowering and all of that. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So, yeah, how would you, for anyone who, you know, is kind of aspiring to be working at Google... Um, how would you describe that working environment? So yeah, this googliness thing is something that uh, is really googly. It's like a word that we <laughs> use all the time. I love it. <laughs> so uh, we even get value, like when we do the performance review, uh, this is one part of the performance review, how googly you are. So googliness is extremely important. And what it means is what are you doing apart from just your core job, how you are behaving. So like, are you helping others? Are you trying to like uh, work together with other teams so you can like create more impact? Are you up for helping people? Are you up for like uh, work uh, more like um, like one team? So what I'm trying to say here is like, something I noticed when I joined uh, Google is that everyone is up for helping you. And they don't just say it because they have to say it. Mm. They actually are there if you need something yeah. and they try to help you. And like, they always try to like find ways to achieve what you ask for. And the reason why you start behaving in the same way is because you see that everyone is doing it. So like, it's kind of like contagious. Yeah. So this kind of like feeling of like, okay, let's, let's help each other. We see that when we help each other, we can achieve more things. And also it creates this kind of like culture that everyone feels really comfortable. Like I feel really comfortable. I myself at work. Mm. And like, I'm not formal. Like, I can tell my colleagues, like, hey, sorry, like today I feel a little bit like not like a little bit anxious. If I'm going to take it easy. I'm super happy to say this and I feel comfortable saying it. I feel comfortable saying, listen, I need to go and cook my lunch. So I might be five minutes late to the meeting or 10 minutes. Like these are things that you get comfortable with. And the only reason is because everyone else make you feel comfortable and you behave in the same way. So I think it's extremely important to have this kind of culture. And they, and they, they did it. They made it happen. And it's what you say. I think we also hire people that uh, we see that potentially could fit in the culture. But at the same time, we kind of try to hire diverse a diverse kind of like personality because it's also important to have different kind of personalities in the team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's all, that's all part of diversity and inclusion, isn't it? Hiring from different places. Yeah. Yeah, you will bring different things. And it sounds like Google really, they really hired the whole person, not just what you can do day to day, which I think is really important because we are so much more than our day to day jobs. And it sounds like they, they really champion that. Yeah. So you also, um, you also do various talks at unis and colleges. What are some of the frequently asked questions? I mean, the main question is like, how do you get into Google? So tell us, how do you get into Google? <laughs> you need to apply. Like that's the, that's the main thing. Like people are like, yeah, but like, you know, maybe I don't have this, I don't have this. Okay, just try. I also got a no the first time. Yeah. And many people do. Just try. Try in the right place for the right job. Don't just try to apply 
like random positions that like just try if you don't try you don't get it and honestly like I'm not gonna say it's easy to get into Google but like we are normal people like uh, everyone can get into Google so so I think like it's a question of like get ready prepare focus on developing the skills that you have to develop for the job that you want and later wait until the opportunity comes Yeah, absolutely. And also, if you if you know someone who knows someone at at Google, don't be afraid to ask for an introduction and just get some advice. You know, what's it? What's the working environment? What are the values of Google? Do I actually fit in Google? You know, I think we put these big companies up on a high pedestal as like, oh, I'd really love to work there. But it's like, well, why do you want to work there? Do you think it would actually work for you like the company? Uh, and vice versa as well which I think is so important to be thinking about because it a job is a is a two-way relationship and you know you won't be happy in a job unless you fit within that environment as well and having this googliness is obviously a very common trait and it's something that is super important to um to the company as well yeah do you find that you know working in the technical area of um not just google but also you know that kind of industry do you find that there are far less women that apply for roles in this area or is it becoming more diverse so there are still less women um but these things are changing and i can see an improvement on applications and number of women on the technical roles i have always been one of the few ones or the only women that was like a software engineer or the only women in the team when I was at the BBC, we were really few ones. We were like three in the whole team, uh, four max uh, out of like a team of 20. And later, when I moved to the to the YouTube team, I was the only one for a long time. Uh, but over the last year, we hired around one every two, one every three people we hired was a woman. Amazing. And, uh, and it has, I have seen an improvement. I just hired a, a woman for my team and, uh, and she's, uh, she's awesome. And I think she's going to do great. Mm. And, um, and honestly, the only thing I see when I interview uh, women versus men is like women are always more scared. They're always like not so sure they should be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they usually show less confident on interviews than, than men do. And I think this is related with the whole culture. Like mm. we see less role models. We just expect us to be perfect and to fit every single point of the job description. Mm. And um, and that is why. And I mean, there are many studies where that is says that uh, men always apply, even if yeah. they don't comply with all the job descriptions, while women, they wait until they comply with everything. But at the same time, that is not so bad because when they arrive to the interview, they're basically amazing. So there is no doubt that uh, about who we have to choose sometimes. Mm. So in that sense, but fair enough. But yeah, just apply. One advice I will give is like, don't, don't try to fit. Don't try to comply with every single um, point of the job description because then you will never apply. You will never get it. No one mm. is expecting you to, to do that. And there are things that you can learn on the job. So, so yeah, there are still less women, but it's getting better. That's in summary. That's good. Yeah, because I think also, like when you're going into an interview, if you know that you don't have 
you know, 100% of the skills. It's also approaching it like, okay, well, I have 60% of this, but then I have 40% of space to grow. And like, do you really want someone coming in and knowing everything and not having any space to grow? You probably don't because like companies each have their, you know, different ways of doing things. And, you know, if you're someone who wants to learn, you're probably going to want to have, you know, a little bit of a gap with um with what you can do yeah that is something that I always ask in the on the interviews like what have you learned over the last month and I something that I evaluate is how willing you are to learn more and how willing you are to like grow Um, because I think this is super relevant if someone wants to learn they will grow faster and they will uh, learn the job faster than someone who is like really comfortable with where they are and I think this is super important yeah is that something that google specifically looks for in candidates as well i think they generally do but i mean i'm speaking on a personal level i'm speaking about my team and how i do the interviews Mm. Uh, but yeah i'm aware that in most of the teams this is something that they really care about okay big question your role involves a lot of innovation within your team you're now leading a team of six across europe where do you predict the future of music and tech being in the next five years wow what it's, a question. A, it's a big question <laughs> so we can break it down okay let's let's see um i think there are different parts on the technical side music and technical side i think there are few things that are starting that might grow might not so i don't know really what's going to happen with them but nfts so like nfts the all the non-tangible tokens uh that everyone's speaking about uh might be something that might break out i have seen a lot of like investments on on startups that are uh, developing this kind of uh, innovation i have seen like majors getting involved with these kind of startups so i think that could be something that could help to uh, improve the payment moment model and the, um, the whole funnel uh, at the moment is, is like for composers, uh, songwriters, uh, it takes forever to get the money if they see any money. So if we achieve to, to get something on the blockchain or using Ethereum, like the Ethereum chain or something like that, where we can have a smart contract, this could help. However, I don't think it's going to be like magically solved because we have all the industry there. They are not going to suddenly disappear. They are not going to suddenly apply this technology. So we'll see what happens with them, with that. And later, the second thing I think is going to happen is we see more and more these kind of like short uh, videos. And we see uh, people using music for these kind of videos. And we see like the promotional uh, tools are becoming more like, let's get people to do videos or do things that could promote this for us in a kind of like free way free marketing way. It's not really free, but like it's kind of like this promotional sin. And this involves um, sync rights. So this basically means that the labels and the publishers need to accommodate a different kind of right, a different kind of like um, licensed music. Mm. And and I think this is going to be a really important side uh, in the next years, like how we license music, not just for like TV series or something like that, but more like on a micro licensing point of view. And something else I think is going to change is how we deal with artists. So uh, I think we are moving towards more like a world where artists will be more independent. Yeah. And I think this is only possible because of technology. 
because we have like uh, distribution companies that uh, allows artists to like upload their music and this get distributed to all the, the DSPs. Mm. Uh, they also have like the, the technology on their hands, like on their phone to be able to like create music, record music and, um, and upload this to every single platform and arrive to everyone around the world. And this is also connected with like uh, gaming. I think gaming is becoming more and more important and more linked to music than ever. We yeah. have seen a lot of concerts online, Fortnite and different gaming platforms. And the reason is because people are there. People are already there. They are playing. They are listening to music. I have seen ma- uh, many of the tracks getting like a big impact from being added to like video games. This has been always a thing, but now it's becoming even more important. And I think like um, music and gaming are going to be even more linked in the future and it's mm. going to grow. And this will be related with how we interact with others that probably is going to be online and probably will we see companies creating this kind of like online concerts that we have already seen with, with some artists. Um, yeah, this Three, four points are the main ones, and I'm pretty sorry for getting many, but yeah. It's definitely a pivotal point in the music industry at the moment, particularly given the last year with the pandemic and so many changes kind of being forced upon us. So that's that's really valuable. Thank you. And just to, to close off, what are the three things that you've learned in your career that you'd want listeners to take away? Oof. Um, okay, one thing is when you start in a job, don't try to run. What I mean by this is when I started both jobs, I just wanted to be useful for week two. No one expects you to be useful from week two. Um, they expect you to learn for the first weeks, even months. They mm-hmm. expect you to learn well. What I'm trying to say by this is like, they expect you to be fully functional by the end of, I don't know, quarter one or whatever uh, they, they say. And this basically means that you need to spend time on learning, learning the culture, learning how to navigate the, the team and learning how to navigate the, the company. Uh, so don't run when you start in a new role, uh, try to learn. The second thing is uh, value yourself and sell yourself. And uh, why I say this? Because I was the, old, the, the typical one that say that sometimes I get frustrated and it's like, no one really see how much I'm working. Hmm. But later I wonder, do I actually value myself and what I'm doing? Do I actually tell people what I'm doing? If the answer to these questions is no, I mean, how do you expect people to know what you are doing if you don't, you don't share it? So be even annoying sometimes. If you need to send an email, if you need to like speak in every single meeting, if you need to do all this, just do it. No one is going to complain. It's so important to sell yourself. I think it's something that we don't learn. It's actually as important as doing the job. Definitely. Yeah. And the third one will be, I think, be a human. And what I mean by this is empathy and humor and and treat people as people. Like, okay, we are working, but they are humans as you. If you treat people like people and uh, you care about them, they will care about you. Mm. And they will uh, be there if you need something. If you treat people as robots, they will behave as robots. So don't expect them to understand you in the future if something happens. So I think, yeah, be human and and have empathy. I think empathy is such an important thing that uh, we don't mention enough. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important to get to know your colleagues on a personal level as well as a professional level because you'll get each other and you'll have that empathy more naturally. Yeah, totally. And now it's more difficult, but like if you can like 
try to ask how they are, what they are doing, what's the weekend's plan when you start meetings. I think it really helps. Yeah, definitely. And what's the best advice anyone has ever given you? I think one of the best advice that I got is try to do something that uh, you are passionate about because then uh, it will be easier when like when you are frustrated or when difficult moments come yeah and I think it's is really relevant we all have months years where things are more difficult and it's more difficult to feel motivated at your, at, at your job and all these kind of things but if you have something in mind that is like okay this is why I'm waking up in the morning um this is what I'm doing this is the impact that I'm having um I think things get a little bit better so mm. So yeah, like try to do something that you are passionate about and don't be scared to change if this is not happening. Mm. Oh, wise words. And last question, if listeners want to connect with you, where can they find you? So they can find me on LinkedIn. They can find me on Twitter. Feel free to send me a message. I usually can answer. Sometimes it might take me some days, sometimes some weeks, but I usually answer. So yeah, like maybe Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, I still don't have TikTok as like an official account, but maybe I should do it. <laughs> and I don't actually have a YouTube channel either. So yeah, don't look for me there. But uh, yeah, Twitter on LinkedIn is usually the right place. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. It's been an absolute pleasure. So many tips and valuable advice in that. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, uh, and good luck. The Mellow Compass podcast is produced by the wonderful Rosie Bennett. To keep updated on the latest episodes, hit like and subscribe and we'll see you next time. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.